Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. whether you're here live or you're at home, and we're in this series that we're calling Home. This is our second week. And last week we learned that in our relationship with God, he wants us to feel like we're at home with him. This sense of joy, this sense of peace, this sense of acceptance, this sense of belonging, this sense that this is just the right place. This, this is what I was created for. And if you weren't here or didn't get to tune in last week, and I hope you go online and check out that message. This week we're gonna shift gears a little bit and I wanna talk about a topic that I think is very, very relevant. We're gonna be talking about how can you enjoy life regardless of your circumstances. And I just don't think the timing could be better than what we're gonna be talking about this weekend. I mean, we've been dealing now with six months with COVID-19. Uh, we have the social unrest that's going on. We're right in the middle of a political season that is just like the most uh, hotly uh, debated and the sides are squared off. I mean, I've never been through a political season like this in my life. And it just seems like everything is a little bit chaotic. By the way, when it comes to uh, the whole political world, you know, you do have a, you do have a part. You, you can vote. And this weekend, churches all across America are taking part in what we're calling My Faith Votes. I want you to watch just this video for a second. There are over 90 million Christians in the United States today. When we unite and turn our faith into action, we have tremendous influence. What could our communities look like if we as believers stood for Judeo-Christian values at the ballot box? We aren't doing this alone. We are joined by millions of Christians across the country who are committed to standing for biblical principles. When we think about the issues important to our faith, biblically line them up against the candidates, pray for God's wisdom, and then turn our faith into action and cast our vote, then we lead our communities to real solutions that are right and true. 
but we must show up and take a stand. Our communities need us, our nation needs us, and together we can be the difference. So this weekend, we just want to encourage you, if you have not registered to vote, at least register to vote. I mean, we, I was talking to somebody from another country just the other night, and he says, Americans have no idea how much that freedom and that ability to vote, how important that right is, because the country he came from, they didn't have that right. It's an, incredible, uh, it's an incredible opportunity. You know, Paul wrote this chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 13, where he talks about a Christian's response to government. And remember, he talks about all authority that's established has been established by God. But in it, if you read that chapter, this is the conclusion you come to. A good Christian is a good citizen. And I think a good citizen vote. So if you haven't registered, register. Now, this is what gets tough. Both parties have some biblical principles. So why you need to pray and why you need to look at God's word, you need to come to terms with how am I going to vote? Let God lead you in that process and you'll make the right choice. Now, this is what I want you to know. On November the 14th, it's gonna be over, hopefully. Hopefully there's no hanging chads that go into January. But hopefully the next day, one way or the other, it will be over. And this is what I know. There's gonna be about half of Hope Community Church that are happy, and there's gonna be about half of Hope Community Church that's disappointed. Because Hope Community Church is just like the community, we reflect the community. So there's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind and I want you to pray about. First of all, I want us to pray that as a body of believers, we would find confidence in God. We would understand that when Paul said all authority that's established has been established by God, whoever's in the White House, whoever our mayor is, whoever our governor is, our Senate, our congressman, they are there because God determined that he wanted them there. And we may not vote for them and we may not even agree with them, but God has them there for a reason and God has a plan. Just remember this, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, God is still on the throne. You just need to remember that. So let's pray that we would have that attitude. And then second, a sense of unity. I mean, Jesus says, they'll know you're Christians, not by your political party. They will know you are Christians by how you love one another. Because I gotta be honest with you, I think there's gonna be turmoil after this election. I just do, I just think that's what's gonna happen. But you know what? The kingdom of God will continue to move forward. I just spent today walking around a building about 180,000 square feet in one of the most under-resourced, uh, 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 under poorest, poorest uh, parts of our community. And we were envisioning how could we put a campus there, not just so that we could worship on the weekend, but turn it into a facility that meets the needs of that community throughout the week. We're talking about providing jobs for the community, job training and skill training in the community, grocery store for the community, all kinds of things going on there. And it's like, because you know what? The kingdom of God is going to continue regardless of what happens in the United States of America. So I want you to understand that we're still gonna be busy the day after November, after the election of reaching the triangle and changing the world. But see, if you don't get that perspective, you're gonna be worried, you're gonna be losing sleep, you're gonna be fighting about the election, you're gonna be arguing over the statistics and the science behind COVID-19. But this is something that I shared with you last week, so I wanna share it with you again in case you missed it. God wants you to enjoy life. You need to understand that. And if you're not enjoying the life that God created for you, I'm telling you, there's a problem somewhere. I mean, think about this, Paul is in prison. Paul is getting ready to be beheaded. Do you know what he said? He said, you can have joy. Even when you're going through hard times, even when you're going through persecution, even when you are going through suffering, even when you're facing persecution, execution, you can have joy. 
How about James chapter one? He says, consider it all joy when you have trials and tribulations. In other words, consider it all joy when God takes you through tough times. And we hear stuff like that and we think, how is that even possible? Here's another verse, 1 Peter chapter one, verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know what Peter is saying? You may not see God in your circumstances. You may not feel God in your circumstances right now. You may not be hearing the voice of God in your circumstances right now. But he says, regardless, you can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction. Interesting, that word satisfaction in the Hebrew is the exact same word that in other places is translated joy that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction, find joy in all of their toil. In other words, in all of their hardships, this is the gift of God. Jesus came along and said in John chapter 15, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, Jesus says, I'm sharing these things with you. And this is the passage where he talks about, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions if it weren't true. All of that, he says, I'm telling you these things so that my joy, which is the joy of God, will be in you. Not only that, the joy that I'm gonna put in you is gonna be so overflowing in your life, you won't even have room for more joy. You say, Mike, how in the world is that possible? Galatians chapter five, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit, not the effects of your labor, but the fruit of your spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But what I want you to notice is that this fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit, which means we don't have to produce the fruit. We just display the fruit. We're kind of like the produce section at Whole Foods. You know, we, we don't grow the fruit. We just, we, just, we just display the fruit. In other words, we don't have to produce kindness. The Holy Spirit will produce kindness in us. We don't have to produce self-control. And isn't that great? Most of us can't produce it anyway, right? The Holy Spirit will produce self-control in us. We don't have to produce peace and joy. The Holy Spirit will produce those things in us. So here's the question. If we're not experiencing joy, what's preventing it? If we're not experiencing joy, if Paul says you can face joy regardless of what's going on, you can be shackled in prison, facing a beheading, and you can be joyful. So if we're not experiencing joy, what's the problem? What's choking the joy out of our life? I wanna give you three things this weekend, three hindrances uh, that will prevent you from experiencing joy in your life. We'll call them joy blockers. It's gonna be a very simple message. The first one is actions. Our actions can block joy in our life, prevent the Holy Spirit from developing and producing joy in our life. I'm gonna read a story for you, you know, like what does this have to do with anything, right? But I'll explain it to you. Acts chapter eight, verse nine. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery, that's just witchcraft, in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man rightly is rightly called the great power of God. Wow. I mean, that's impressive, right? They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news, in other words, the gospel of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. 
And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, in other words, they had responded to the gospel, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that there they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come, down, come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you something about the book of Acts. It's a book of transitions. It's a transitional book. We just came from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the life of Jesus. But now Jesus has passed the baton over to the apostles. And we know in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came for the very first time. But you have to remember, they don't have a Bible. They don't know how to understand the Holy Spirit, what's going on in their life. And so in the book of Acts, people received the Holy Spirit when the apostles showed up speaking for God and explained the Holy Spirit. And when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now you don't have to worry about that because now we know as believers, we receive the Holy Spirit the minute we respond to the gospel, the minute we get saved. But that's how it was in this book of transitions. So back to the story, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, good gracious, he's been a sorcerer. He's thinking, I could add this to my show. This would be really cool. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are, two things I want you to notice, full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now, let me just share what's going on in this story. Simon is a brand new believer. I mean, he has just accepted Christ as his savior. So he doesn't know all these things that are going on. So when he sees what's happening around him, when he sees how they respond to receiving the Holy Spirit, he's like, man, I would like to be able to do that. Again, remember, he spent his life as a sorcerer. And so Peter says, Simon, you gotta understand, it doesn't work that way. But notice the statement he made in verse 23. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So understand, when I talk about actions, I am talking about sin in our life that holds us captive. You might even say, keeps us in bondage. And if you don't know what sin I'm talking about in your life, it's the sin that you keep committing, you keep feeling guilty about, you keep confessing it, you keep promising God that you're never gonna do it again, and you go right out and do it again. And so you come back the next time and say, God, I am so sorry. I promised you I would never do it again, but I did it again. And I really asked forgiveness and I'm really gonna do better this time. I didn't really mean it last time, but I'm really gonna do better this time. I really mean it this time. And then you go out and commit it again. That is what is known as an occurring or an ongoing sin. And as a result, that sin is going to prevent you from experiencing joy in your life. By the way, it's interesting, this, this Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek, this Greek word that's translated sin here is the same word that's also translated iniquity. When you think about sin or an iniquity, think of an inequity, okay? When there's an inequity in your life, your character isn't matching. Your character isn't lining up with the character of God. And if you have a reoccurring sin, if you have an, an, inequity, an inequity in your life, it is going to rob you of your ability to have a joyful life. Now, let me just say something. If that describes you, you're not alone. I can promise you this. There are many, many Christians who really, really, really love God. 
but they have areas in their life that don't line up with the character of God. And as a result, in that area of our lives, see, we don't match up with the character of God. We don't line up with the character of God. There's an inequity. And one of the ways that you can identify this kind of sin in your life is you do a pretty good job of keeping it under control. You do, you do a pretty good job of keeping it hidden until you're stressed. But when you're stressed, you're in trouble because when you're stressed, it seems to come to the surface. It's kind of like a vat of gold. What happens when you, when you turn up the heat under a vat of gold? Well, as it liquefies, the impurities, or it's called dross, it comes to the top. That's actually how they purify gold. You skim it off, but that's what happens to gold. By the way, let me just say this. If you are a Christian, if you've responded to the gospel, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you need to know that from God's perspective, you're gold. You're already gold. But here's the problem. Sometimes stress comes. Sometimes the heat gets turned up in our lives. And just like gold, we have some stuff. We have some junk that comes out, that comes to the surface of our lives. And when that happens, often our response is, where in the world did that come from? Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong, you knew was a sin, you knew was a, just disobedient to God, and you're like, where in the world did that come from? That doesn't line up with who I am. It's a good possibility that that's a sin that you're in bondage to you're being held captive to. The Bible calls these strongholds. And what's amazing is this. That sin is totally out of character with who you really are. I mean, who you really are is a new creation in Christ Jesus. But the reality is, is even after we become Christians, we still have some area in our life, some junk in our life, some impurities in our life that we're dealing with. Let me just give you some examples of some things that might describe what you're dealing with in your life, sins that may be holding you captive. Here's one outbursts of anger. For example, do you ever just out of nowhere or do you know someone just out of nowhere, they just explode, they just go off on you, right? You ever done that? And then you walk away after you do it and you're like, where in the world did that come from? I'm telling you this, most of the time an outburst of anger comes from a disappointment or hurt in your life that you have never dealt with. You've just pushed it down. You've just hung on to it. In other words, you're upset about something in your past, but you've never dealt with it. You've held on to it, and it leads to an outburst of anger. Here's another one, severe rejection. Did you know that uh, psychiatrists tell us that the sense of rejection is the most difficult emotion to get over? Maybe you feel rejected by your parents. You felt rejected by a spouse. Maybe you felt rejected by a child and it's keeping you from experiencing joy in your life because you haven't dealt with. Here's one, irrational fear. And I'm 64 years old, I just turned 64. You know where I've seen more irrational fear than ever in my life? During COVID-19. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful, we're being careful. I'm not saying we shouldn't be cautious, we all should be cautious. I mean, I have a 92 and an 89 year old parents. I expect them to be cautious and make wise decisions. But some of the fear that comes out is amazing to me. And, and how it comes out, you know the, the, the best one? Did you know that Kentucky Fried Chicken decided they were gonna have to do away with their slogan, finger licking good? <laughs> Google it, do you know why? It no longer promotes safe practices. <laughs> you mean to tell me because of COVID, I can't eat a drumstick? Look, 
I'll do it again. I'm an, I'm an American. If I want to lick my finger, I'll lick my finger. I mean, I can drop your slogan all you want to. But I'm just saying, some of the stuff, you know, I watched a football game last week where 200 people can be on a football field. Football players breathing on each other, bleeding on each other, sweating on each other, but 300 parents can't sit in a stadium that holds 55,000 people outside and watch their kids play. I mean, they could each have their own section. I'm thinking that's irrational fear, but maybe, maybe forget COVID. Maybe there's, maybe you're just one of those overly fearful people that can be a stronghold in your life. Here's one sexual sin. You may being held captive to sexual sin is taking away your joy. And it's always embarrassing to me at church that I have to explain people what a sexual sin is, but a sexual sin is any sex outside the marriage of a husband and wife in a committed marriage relationship. That falls into the category of sexual sin, sexual immorality, sexual impurity. That is your biblical definition. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians, hey, that's the one sin that when you sin, it's against your own body. You're hurting yourself, but it may be holding you captive. Pride. The sense of arrogance. You make a lot of boastful statements. You always have to be right. You always have better facts and better statistics than everybody else. Lying. Lying's a big one. It's not who you are. You're in bondage. You're being held captive. By the way, David's a great example of this idea. I mean, think about it. The Bible says that David was, was a man after God's own heart. I've told you that before. Doesn't say it about anybody else in the Bible. Only David. And it doesn't say it once, but it says it twice. David's a man after God's own heart. That's his character. But yet we know that in just a matter of a few days, he committed adultery and murder. Understand, he was a man after God's own heart. It was totally out of his character. But let me show you what he said when he confessed his sin. And I can't read it all. You can read it on your own. Psalm 51, verse 12. Look what he says. Restore to me the what? The joy of your salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. And I point that out because I want you to understand that when you blow it, when you screw up, God doesn't kick you out of the family. He doesn't kick you to the curb. And it's because, see, your salvation isn't based on what you do or what you don't do. Or you know what? Every one of us would be on the outside looking in. Our salvation is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And as a result, we're secure in his power and his grace. But understand, our joy is based on us allowing the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit in us. By the way, what's the opposite of joy? The opposite of joy is grief. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved because of our sin, there's no fruit. There's no joy. Let me show you a verse. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We probably have all heard that verse, but this is what's interesting. All the verses before that and all the verses after that, it just lists a whole bunch of sins. All different ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. I made a list. There's greed, there's deceit, there's anger, there's slander, there's unwholesome talk, there's bitterness, there's lying, there's sexual immorality. And so what grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, what grieves the Holy Spirit is sin. What's the opposite of joy? The opposite of joy is grief. That means that when you sin, you have grief not joy. Now, why do we sin most of the time? Because we think it will bring us joy. But what happens is when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit and he can't produce joy in us. When you sin, you have grief, not joy. It's that simple. I'm a PE major and I get that, right? You don't lose your salvation, but you've got to understand you lose your joy. And so Paul says that when we sin, we need to immediately repent. And this, this word repent, this Greek word, it means change your mind. 
In other words, when you, when you repent, you change the way you're thinking. Because if you, don't, if you don't change the way you think about sex, if you just think it's okay for everybody in any situation, if you don't change the way you think about anger, that it's okay to hold on to anger, if you don't think that, it's, that if you don't change your mind about lying and that it's okay to deceive people, I promise you, your behavior will never change. Let me give you a principle. Think differently, live differently. Think differently, live differently. Paul talked about this, Romans chapter 12, verse two. Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. I'm telling you, if you want to live differently, you gotta begin to think differently. And we have some great classes that we offer around here. You may wanna check. For example, we offer classes on how you can work through the past so you can actually extend forgiveness. Get rid of the stuff that you're hanging on to. Uh, we, we have classes how you can deal with grief. Grief can be a stronghold if you don't deal with it and process it. Another one, a class is mend. It's, it's for women that have been sexually assaulted, sexually abused in their past. But in fact, I just heard a story this week of a young lady that went through our men class last fall. And after the class was over, she had an encounter with God through the Holy Spirit that just changed her life. And when it starts up in just a few weeks, she's now a small group leader, no more in bondage to her past, right? But take advantage of these classes because you may be dealing with things in your life you don't even understand that you're dealing with. And here's the problem, it's producing bad fruit. And so you have to deal with the bad root so that you can produce good fruit. Jesse Jackson would like that. That's good stuff right there. That was so good, let me say it again. That was better than you thought it was. Let me say it again. You gotta learn to deal with the bad root so you can begin to produce good fruit. But you gotta understand, your actions are gonna prevent you from being able to experience joy. Second, attitude, the way you think. It will keep you from experiencing joy. Look what it said in verse 23 of Acts chapter eight. For I see that you are full of bitterness. Literally, the Greek says this. I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. Now let's go back to the story. What's going on? God's doing some great things in Samaria. People are being introduced to the gospel. They're giving their life to Christ. They're being forgiven. They're being healed. They're being set free from bondage. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. And Simon, he sees all of this stuff going on. He sees all of these people benefiting from what God is doing. And guess what his response is? What about me? What about me? Let me ask you a straightforward question. When God blesses people in your life, maybe where you work, maybe in your family, maybe your neighbors, how do you respond? And be honest. Do you respond like, oh, you got the promotion. Isn't that special? Right? Oh, you had a great aunt that died that you didn't even know? And she left you a million dollars? Well, praise the Lord. You know? You know what you're thinking? What about me? Here's my point, maybe the reason you're not being blessed is because of how you respond when other people are being blessed. See, that's an attitude. I'll give you an example. You've, you've heard me tell stories, you know, people will give generously, sacrifice to give, and then they'll send me an email saying, hey, I stepped out on faith and I started to tithe and I got a promotion at work I wasn't expecting, or I got a raise, or I got a financial windfall, or I got a tax return I wasn't expecting. And so you hear stories like that, and this is how you respond. Well, I give generously, that doesn't happen to me. What about me? 
So let me give you a principle. If we get upset when someone else is blessed, it may be the reason we're not being blessed. But it's an attitude. My point is simply this. Your attitude can hinder your ability to experience joy in your life. Go back to that verse again, Acts 8, 23. For as I see that you are full of bitterness. Guess what the root of bitterness is? What's the root of bitterness? It's not a trick question. What's the root word of bitterness? Bitter, okay, I'll help you out with that, right? This word bitter is interesting because it has the same definition in the Hebrew, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, this is very rare, and English, it has the exact same definition. Bitter means a sour taste. You are poisoned by bitterness. This is how bitterness plays out in our lives. Someone says something about you or they do something to you. Have you ever used this phrase? Ooh, that left a bad taste in my mouth. For example, you hear that someone said something hurt you, hurtful about you and you're like, wow, they said that? Why in the world would they say that? That's so bitter. That left a bad taste in my mouth. I'm gonna give you a piece of advice that will save your life. When that happens, you spit it out. When you get that sour taste in your spirit, you spit it out, it's poison. I'm telling you, if you swallow it, it will kill your joy. Now here's the problem. Some of you have been swallowing stuff for 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe you swallowed it 25 years ago and you've never dealt with it. You've never spit it out and it's the reason that you're not enjoying life today and it's because you have poison in your system. You gotta let it go. You gotta spit it out. For example, do you have a situation, something happened to you and you keep replaying it in your mind? Have you ever let somebody have it in your mind? You ever done that? You ever practice the speech that you're gonna give them if you ever get a chance? You ever cuss somebody out? This is North Carolina, we cuss here. I mean, you, ever, you, you ever cuss somebody out? Let's see, understand every time you replay that situation in your mind, you know what you're doing? You're swallowing that poison all over again. You gotta spit it out. You gotta let it go. How do you let it go? How do you spit it out? Well, it's very simple. You just have to forgive the person the way that God forgives you. And how does God forgive you? When God forgives you, he forgives you as if it never happened. I mean, think about it. How can you replace something in your mind if it never happened? i tell you a story, and it's kind of funny, but it gets my point across. I have a sports car. Now, don't judge me. It's seven years old, and it costs less than most of your pickup trucks and minivans, okay? But it is a beautiful sports car, and it's one of those sports cars that when it's just sitting still in my driveway, it looks like it's going 100 miles an hour. I'm just telling you, it's, it's that kind of sports car. So one day, I'm driving out of my neighborhood, and I got the top down, and as I'm driving down the main street out of the neighborhood, one of my neighbors yells from his yard, hey, slow down! You have a neighbor like that? They're usually from New York or somewhere like that. They have no idea how to live in a neighborhood. But anyway, he yelled at me, slow down, and I immediately looked, I immediately looked down at my speedometer, and I was doing 23, and I thought, oh, I, I guess I was speeding, I was at least three miles over, so I need to slow down. Oh, it's okay. So I go home, that night, and Laura says, how was your day? And I said, something weird happened this morning. 
I was driving out and a guy yelled at me so loudly, slow down. And she said, well, how fast were you going? I said, well, I was speeding. I was doing 23. And she says, that's not the speed limit. Speed limit's not 20, it's 25. <laughs> oh, I was swallowing the poison, gulp. <laughs> I'm thinking that loser <laughs> yelled at me to slow down and I was driving under the speed limit. Oh, we're gonna have a talk. We're gonna have a come to Jesus meeting. And I'm telling you for weeks, cause I have to go by his house to leave the neighborhood. I'm looking. I wanna catch him in his yard cause we're gonna talk. And I'm rehearsing what I'm gonna say. And it's gonna be incredible. Better than any message I've ever given. I'm gonna let him know what a loser he is and he needs to learn how to live in a neighborhood and da 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 And then and when, I, when it's all said and done, he's just gonna fall to his knees and beg my forgiveness and apologize for ever yelling at me like that. Week after week, nothing. And then one day I saw him. And he was wearing a t-shirt that explained everything. It said, Ohio State Buckeyes. Most arrogant, obnoxious people I've ever met in my life are Buckeye fans, right? I'm like, it's on. I pull into his driveway. He turns and looks at me. I get out and shut the door. And it was as if God said to me audibly, let it go. And I thought, God, those are probably wise words. Your timing is horrible. Because now I'm standing in the guy's driveway and he's looking at me. And I can't exactly just say, oh, wrong house. And he recognizes my car. So I walk around, I introduce himself, not that I was a pastor, but just said, hey, I'm Mike. And he introduced himself and I said, hey, listen, you yelled at me the other day about speeding. And I said, I'm sorry. He says, good, because there's lots of children in this neighborhood. I'm like, don't swallow, <laughs> don't. And I said, I promise you it won't happen again. He said, it better not, I'll be watching. I'm like, don't swallow. And then I did get a little dig in about the Big Ten being too sissy to play football this year. But anyway, I guess, but anyway, but anyway. But I got in my car and it was done. I let it go. Can I give you a, some advice based on experience? That hurt you're hanging on to? Let it go. Spit it out. And I realize that's a silly story that many of you watching, many of you listening this weekend, listen, you, you've had much worse stuff happen to you than that, much worse. And just so you know, I have too. And when really, really bad stuff happens, it's very, very difficult to let it go. But I am pleading with you, let it go. You gotta spit it out because I'm telling you, it'll rob your joy. In fact, eventually it'll kill you. So I want you to understand, you can make a choice. You really can make a choice to let it go. Whatever was said to you, whatever was done to you, you can let it go. You can spit it out. So there's actions, there's attitude. Here's the third, attacks. And when I say attacks, I'm talking about attacks from the enemy, attacks from Satan. For example, have you ever told someone, I, I feel like I'm under attack from Satan? 
And that's gonna happen in all of our lives, but I'm telling you the very first question you should ask yourself when you feel that way is this. Is there an open door? Have I given Satan an opening in my life? Because this is what I want you to understand. If there is an action or if there is an attitude that you're not dealing with, you're giving Satan an open door to attack you. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four? Make sure you take care of your anger before the sun goes down. Why? Because if you just let it linger, it's gonna give Satan a foothold in your life. That's an open door. So let me give you a principle. It's much more difficult to fight the enemy when he's in the house than when he's outside the house. And if you've opened the door because of your actions or because of an attitude, I'm telling you, if you've allowed Satan in, the battle is going to be much tougher. So what do you do? How do you close that door? Well, let's go back to our story in Acts chapter eight. Peter told Simon, hey, you're poisoned. You're poisoned by your bitterness. You're being held captive by your sin. You're in bondage. Now, don't forget, Simon's a brand new Christian. He, he, he's a believer. The story says he's already believed. In fact, he's already been baptized. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible that you can be a Christian and still be in bondage? And the answer is yes. You see it all the way through the Bible. In fact, I did a series a couple of years ago just on spiritual warfare and getting freedom called Battle Tested, and I'm sure it's still available online. I would encourage you maybe to go back and listen to it, but I want you to understand it is very, very possible for a Christian to be in bondage to Satan. And if that's what's going on in your life, I don't want you to feel bad about it, and I don't want you to beat yourself up thinking things like, I, I should have known better. I should have never allowed this to happen. I mean, we all need help in this area, but if that describes you, Simon's response in the story is the perfect response. Peter says to Simon, you got some stuff going on in your life and it's really bad stuff. You got some actions and some attitudes, stuff that really shouldn't be there, but I want you to see Simon's response in verse 24. Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me. You know what really burdens me sometimes? It's when I decide I need to talk to someone maybe about something that's going on in his or her life, and that's not easy for me. Confrontation is very, very hard for me. But when I feel like God wants me to have that conversation and I finally work up the courage to have that conversation about something that shouldn't be in their life, it breaks my heart when they respond, respond with something like, well, you know what, you're not perfect. You got stuff in your life too, which is true. Or they quote the one verse that everybody knows in the Bible, judge not, Matthew 7, 1, that you be judged. Simon doesn't do that. You know what he says? Wow, Peter, you're right. Pray for me. So let me just say this. If God has pointed out something in your life this weekend that shouldn't be there, don't deflect. Don't make excuses. Just let your response be. Thank you, God. Deal with me. Just deal with me. Like David, I just take care of it and restore to me the joy of your salvation. Would you bow with me? What is God saying to you right now? Is there an open door in your life? 
Are you struggling maybe with insecurity or fear, rejection or anger, pride? Somebody in your life you refuse to forgive. What action, what attitude is there in your life that you're not dealing with that you need to close the door? Here's my advice. Just, just like Simon, repent. Just say, God, forgive me. Or maybe your response to a message like this is, God, I forgive, you fill in the blank. I forgive my dad. I forgive my mom. I forgive my, my ex-boss, I, 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 my ex-spouse. I, I forgive my friend who betrayed me. But today I'm letting it go. Today I'm spitting it out. And I'm shutting that door. And I know what you're thinking, but Mike, you don't know they were wrong. In fact, I'm probably gonna get an email from you explaining how wrong they were and why you're the exception to this. But let me just say this, of course they were wrong. I mean, you don't forgive people for being right. You don't forgive people for doing the right thing. We, we, we forgive people because they hurt us. We forgive people because they were wrong. So they were wrong. At some point, you just gotta forgive them. It's the only way you'll get the poison out of your system. And if you don't, that poison is gonna kill the fruit of joy in your life. I wanna pray for you, but before I do that, I want you to, to just take just a second. I just wanna allow you to take just a moment. And I just want you to privately go before God. Remember, Abba Father, he's your daddy. Just climb up on his lap. And I want you to allow God to bring the sin to your mind that may have you in bondage. Maybe it's been there for years. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's an attitude. But I want you just to say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I've tolerated it for years. I've justified it for years, but I'm changing my mind. It's wrong. God, we thank you that we can be set free by the word of God and by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, right now, right now, wherever people are, whether they're in this, in this auditorium or sitting in their living room or listening in the car, right now, we take authority over every spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and hate and malice and envy and jealousy, and we command them to go in Jesus' name. We rebuke every spirit of insecurity and inferiority and fear and rejection and self-hate and self-pity and self-destruction and we command them to go right now in Jesus' name. Every spirit of sexual immorality, adultery, lust, pornography, all forms of sexual impurity, we command them to go right now in Jesus' name. Every spirit of pride, lying, deception, rebellion, manipulation, control, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of arrogance, prejudice, racism, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of greed and selfishness and covetousness and selfish ambition, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Depression, anxiety, worry, addiction, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of guilt, every spirit of shame, every spirit 
of embarrassment, every spirit of humiliation, we command them to go in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We praise you and thank you for what you've done. And as David prayed, Father, we ask that you restore to us the joy of our salvation so that we can be a light in this dark world. Father, how can grumpy, discouraged, depressed Christians be light? We need our joy. So we pray that you restore it so we can be the people you called us to be. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.